Good morning. I'm Jason Davis. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Charleston Baptist. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing our study through the book of Jonah. Um, and uh, one of the things that as we have been looking through the book of Jonah and uh, to kind of recap what Pastor Kevin has gone through, uh, this is an amazing story. And in some ways, I was talking to somebody earlier that it, it almost feels like there's not enough, that we'd like a little bit more of Jonah's story. But in, in God's sovereignty and his knowledge, he, he gave us enough because one of the things I hope you do uh, and what I have really had to remind myself of is I'm like Jonah. In many ways, I can identify with Jonah. There are times in my life that I can be like Jonah and running from the call of the Lord, running from the mission in which God has given each one of us. But as we will see this morning, that God doesn't give up on us, that he's given you a mission. He's given you a plan. He's given you something to do in this life to glorify his name, to grow his kingdom. And if you're running from him, he'll pursue you like a loving father. But it not, might not always feel that way. As we've seen, that as Jonah left, he was in a spiral of downward, uh, downward spiral, where he went down to Joppa. Then he went down to the ship. Then he went down into the belly of the ship. Then the last, well, last time we uh, were in the book, we, we saw that he went down into the water. And so this is a continual spiral downward in his life. But I'm also reminded because sometimes we, we want to know, what is God's will for our life? What, what does God want me to do in life? And, and sometimes we'll think, well, if it's an open door, that must be God's will for my life. But Jonah emphatically, the book of Jonah emphatically tells us that's not true. Because think about your own life. How many times have you had open opportunity to sin against God? That open door didn't mean that was God's will for your life. That open door meant a responsibility to obey the word of God. And Jonah, he went through those doors. He started walking through those doors. Each time he would take one more step down the path and he was fleeing. He says he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And I think about this man, Jonah, and, and he, who he is and what he already knows. Jonah has already displayed that he has somewhat decent theology, that he knows who he is. He is a Hebrew, a man who fears God. Apparently not enough, though in his life, or at least not to live it out. Man, but again, I can, I can throw stones at Jonah all day long and see just how awful that guy was. But man, when I start throwing those stones, I'm often reminded of, man, I, I know a lot about God. I know a lot of the truth of the word of God, but how can I walk away from him in so many areas of my life? And so we'll see this morning the God's so gracious and merciful to Jonah. Even, think about this, that God's grace and mercy was shown through the, the storm that was raging against this ship. The ship was threatening to break to pieces. This is a raging storm that Jonah has been going through. And these, these, uh, on this ship were these uh, mariners. And I don't imagine them being just young children on this ship, frightened to death, just crying because of a little storm. But I'm sure these hardened sailors, that they have been through storms before and made it out on the other side. But this storm was different. This storm was hurled on them by who? It was by the God, by, by Yahweh. God, Jonah's God is the one that threw this storm at them. And it was beyond what they, they were ter- exceedingly afraid is what the scripture says. And so they, they do anything it takes to survive this. They'll do anything it takes, and they finally get to Jonah. They, they throw their cargo over. They're really willing to do anything. What is causing this terrible storm against us? And they finally found out, it's Jonah. 
He is running from his God. And he offers his life as a sacrifice to throw him out into the sea. And as soon as the sea calms down, listen to this. So they pick, they pick up Jonah and hurl him into the sea. And the sea ceased from raging. It's raging. And just imagine the, the picture there. Can you picture Can you imagine? There is this crazy storm that you've never been a part, been involved in before. You're fearful for your life. The ship that you're on is about to break to pieces. And as soon as you toss this guy over, it calms down. Imagine that. The, mirac- the miraculous that happens there. The miracle that happens. And then verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They were afraid of the storm. They were afraid of death. Now they're exceedingly afraid of the Lord. This is Yahweh, the one true living God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And here there's different commentaries that will say different things, but it appears that these mariners, these sailors, had a change of heart. They had experienced something they had never experienced in their life. They had just seen the God of all creation throw this terrible storm at them, and then cause it to quiet down. And they made a sacrifice to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. And then we move on into our passages this morning. We're going to be in Jonah chapter, uh, starting in verse, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 17, to chapter 2, uh, verse 9. In Jonah chapter, and we're going to uh, go ahead and read uh, these passages this morning. Starting in verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we go through the book of Jonah, just thank you for preserving your word. Thank you for using the word to speak to us today. Thank you for the impact that you had in Jonah's life and how you desired salvation. And Lord, just even think about this last part of his prayer. Salvation belongs to you, oh God. Let us be reminded of that this morning. Father, as we preach your word, Father, that it would go forth and it would convict us, it would challenge us, it would cause us to run towards you, not away. It would cause us to cry out to you in desperation because you hear our voice. You're an amazing God that you would even hear us, that you would take the time to listen to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first, the first uh, uh, verse we're looking at is uh, 17. And in 17, uh, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This is the great miracle. The great miracle. 
uh, when, when reading about Jonah, if you ever hear about Jonah, uh, I have four children, and we've been reading uh, children's Bibles for the last 11 years or so. And in just about every single children's Bible we have ever gotten or ever read, it has the story of Jonah. And it has about the great fish that Jonah gets swallowed up by the great fish. And, and even people that don't go to church, they may hear about Jonah. And, and as soon as you hear about Jonah, it's Jonah and the what? The fish. Or I'm, we've probably been taught Jonah and the well, right? Most of us would hear Jonah and the well. And what has amazed me as we study the book of Jonah is that this is a miracle amongst many miracles. But this is the miracle that maybe you have struggled with in your life. Maybe to, uh, to say, like, how, that's not possible. God, there, there's no way someone could be thrown into the depths of the sea, swallowed up by a fish, live in it for three days and three nights, be thrown up on the land. That's just impossible. Well, I just want to let you in on a secret. It's called a miracle. That's what a miracle is. And, and, and be honest, I try to think through. I love science. I love looking at nature. I love hearing stories about God's creation and the intricacies of nature. But guess what? I don't have to find a story where a man lived in a fish for three days to believe that this is to be true. Because guess what? This is, not, this is not given to us as this is just part of nature. This is that God had appointed this fish to do this job for him. Again, this is to show God's sovereignty, that he is over all creation. He is over the seas. He is over the fish in the sea. He is over these things, and he is in control. And that this happened because of his will and his desire. And that this fish, it swallows him. And I believe this to be true, not just allegory, not just a fable, not just a myth, but this to be true, that this man Jonah was thrown overboard and this fish swallowed him because the Lord appointed this fish to do so. And that the Lord is the one that uphold, upheld his life in this time. Not only is it that in this story that we see that this is, a, this is given as a narrative. This is given as not just a fable, a, a fairy tale, but this is given as truth. But also, there's a man that I trust very much that says this to be true as well. And in Matthew 12, Jesus himself, Matthew 12, 40 through 41, for just as Jonah was, it was three days and three nights in the belly of, of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you have a problem with Jonah being in the well for three days and three nights, you have to have a problem with Jesus dying and rising from the dead. If you can't believe in Jonah in the well, then can you believe in the resurrection of Christ? how greater of a miracle it is for Christ to be raised from the dead than Jonah being a fish for three days. But Jesus, he believes it to be true. He didn't say there's a parable about a guy who was in a fish for three days. No. The way Jesus talks about this story too is that this is a real thing. And what I want us to remember too is that this is a miracle of miracles. A miracle that just happened before it was the calming of the sea, the raging of the, the wind, or even the miracle that these pagans, these, these worshipers of idols, these, these guys that didn't have any clue who Yahweh was or the true living God was, they submitted to God. They made a vow to God. They made a sacrifice. That is a miracle. And we'll see other miracles throughout the book. So we see that this is a miracle, but truly the great miracle that we need to be reminded of is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is the great miracle. 
And then uh, we see, so that's the great miracle. Then we see a distress call in Jonah 2, uh, 1 through 2. We see, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jonah prayed. Finally, he prayed. He could have prayed while he was on deck, while the, the, the wind was raging. He could have prayed out and called out to the Lord, but he wasn't there yet. He wasn't ready to submit to the Lord yet. And he had to go further. And many times in our life, God gives us opportunity along the way that he could have backed up and went before he got on the ship, I shouldn't be going this direction. Let me go where God's called me to go. But he didn't, he kept on. When he was on the ship, in the belly of the ship, and the seas was roaring, and, and the, the mariners, the, the sailors were calling out, he could have stopped and said, let me pray, and let us turn the ship around and go in the right direction. No, he didn't. It wasn't until now. It wasn't until he was in the water and had the waves crashing over him, the seaweed wrapped around his head, until he was in the belly of the fish, that it finally, yes, Lord, I'll submit. I think about my own life. There are times like that where it's not until I reach the depths. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. The Lord is God. It is his God. That he's not saying, you're out there, you are some other, but you are mine. And guess what? Brothers and sisters, when we're in distress, call out to the Lord, your God, that you have submitted to, that he is near, that he is with you. Isn't it ironic? Now, he's done all this effort to leave the presence of the Lord, and now he's calling out to the Lord his God. In his time of need, as he's been rushing away from the Lord, he's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, he cannot. And when the, he needs the Lord the most, when he finally realizes his need for the Lord, who is there? The Lord is with him. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And this is amazing. The thing about the belly of the fish what the environment he could have been experiencing. Like if this was a warm-blooded creature, if it was a well, uh, and then it was a warm-blooded creature, then it would have been really hot and stinky inside that fish. If it was a cold-blooded creature, and it could have been extremely cold and, and still very smelly. I mean, think about the, the acid that would have been in the stomach of this animal as it has digested it or digesting its previous meal besides Jonah. I mean, the ama amazing about the, the, the circumstance he finds himself in is not the most pleasant place to be praying, right? You might not automatically think, oh, I'm in this terrible space. I need to be calling out to the Lord. No, a lot of times we think when we get in those terrible spaces, those terrible places, then we want to immediately get me out, get me out. As soon as you can, get me out. But guess what? The Lord, in his grace and mercy, he didn't get him out immediately. He didn't like just whip that fish all the way over to the land real quick and he was only in there for minutes or hours. No, it was three days, three nights. Think about that environment that he was in. And this is what he says in his prayer while he's in that environment. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cry and you hear, you heard my voice and this idea of the belly of Sheol. And so he's equating that his presence in the belly of the fish with the belly of Sheol. If you don't know what Sheol is, Sheol in the Old Testament is the place of the dead. And so he is saying, I am amongst the dead. I've gone so far away from God. I, I, you might as well just consider me dead. I'm in the place of the dead. What an amazing creature. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He was in great distress, in great anguish. There was nowhere else for him to go. And the beauty of that is that is God's mercy. 
And we'll see that this is a, a, a prayer of thankfulness. Even in this prayer, he doesn't call out and say, get me out of this, but he says, you will raise me up out of this. He's not pleading or asking for, for God's help in this. He's calling out to worship God and to praise him from this. I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, he answered me. This is the God we serve. This is the God of Jonah, but this is my God. That he will answer me. That he will not leave me or forsake me in those times of distress. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, you may have gone through some amazing uh, distress or great distress, horrific things in your life, or you may be in distress right now where you're in that place where you feel like you're in the belly of Sheol right now, or you may be there someday soon. And this is a prayer for us. This is a prayer for you. And you heard my voice. What great comfort that can bring to us is that we don't cry out to worthless idols. We don't cry out to false gods. We cry out in our distress to the one true living God that can truly hear, that can truly do something. So in this prayer of Jonah, I'd encourage you to go back in your Bible and look through the the references here. That this prayer of Jonah is chock full of, of references to the Psalms. That's, that Jonah must have had the, the Psalter, the Psalms memorized in his head. He have, must have gone through the Psalms many, 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 many times in his life because in his time of distress, he turns to the Psalms to cry out to God. I want to encourage you that if you're in distress or as you pray, if your prayer life is boring, if your prayer life seems mediocre, that you go to the Psalms and you begin to pray the Psalms back to the Lord. That if you are not sure how to articulate the the depths of your heart, how thankful, how grateful you are, or how low you feel, now I'd encourage you to go to the Psalms to help you express that to the Lord. Psalm 121 says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And we see many Psalms like that. Well, in distress, they call out to the Lord. Think about David and the many times that he was in distress and he calls out to the Lord. And we may think, well, that's Jonah, that's a prophet of God, or that's David, that's, that's the king of Israel. But guess what? He is for you. You have something that those men don't have. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have God of the universe that lives inside of you. And cry out to the Lord. In my distress, and he answered me. And so there's a distress call, then a seemingly hopeless situation. Look at that. It's seemingly hopeless. He's real about his situation. He's honest about the situation that he's in. He doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't try to paint it in a pretty picture, but he's real about his situation. In Jonah 2, 3 through 6, it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Who cast? He says, you cast. God, you cast me into the seas. But he's not accusing God of wrongdoing in a sense of saying, you cast me there because that's where I needed to be. I needed to be in the seas, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surround me. All your waves and your billows pass over me. He knows who's in control, that it is his seas, and it is his waves, it is his billows, it is his wind that has come upon him because of his running in the wrong direction. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look. 
I love that word yet there. It's a transitionary word. Yeah, he, it's all this that is going on in the scene, but then there's a yet and there's a pivot. A pivot. Instead of looking at the, the situation and keeping his gaze upon the situation he's in, what does he do? He said, yet I look where? I look up. Instead of continuing to look at my situation and continuing to be so distressed about my situation that I can look into the Lord. Yet I, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains that he was at a low, low. He was at a low, low. The waters closed in over me to take my life. He said, I was on the brink of death. That I was about gone. I was almost gone. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This idea of Sheol going down. Again, he's on this spiral down. Everything indicates that he's going down. And yet he'll look to the holy temple of God. And yet he's turning his gaze. Though his situation is still the same, yet he is going to change his gaze. Instead of continue looking down at his, his situation, he's going to look up to God. And this is, this is for you, brother. This is for you, sister. That instead of continuing to see how bad your situation is, we look up to the God of the universe, the one who can truly save. He's the one that can provide hope. This is a seemingly hopeless situation that he's describing right here. That his life is going to end if God doesn't intervene. If God doesn't intervene in your life, if he doesn't intervene in my life, it will not end well. But God has intervened in my life. He has revealed himself to me through Jesus Christ. He has given his death, burial, and resurrection so that we may have life and life in him, true life. And that we don't have to go to these depths to see the beauty of God, to meet with God. So again, this, this prayer of Jonah has all kind of psalms through it that is laced through. Listen to this in uh, Psalm 18, four through six. The cords of death encompassed me. What does that sound? The weeds wrapping around his head? The torrent of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangle me. The snares of death confront me. This psalmist knows what it means to be in a hard situation. Brothers and sisters, if you ever feel like you're in a situation where like nobody understands, nobody gets it, this is hard. This is real hard. Nobody understands where I'm at. Again, go to the Psalms. Go to the Psalms. When we can't express our feelings, go to the Psalms. And then verse six, in my distress, again, another situation. In my distress, I call upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to, re to him reached his ears. Again, we have a God that is not distant from us. Is not removed from us. That isn't just one that will just leave us and say, figure it out on your own. Deal with it yourself. I've had enough with you. Again, I think about Jonah. Wouldn't God be just if he had left Jonah in the depths of the sea? Wouldn't he be like a just God if he had done that? But he is just, but he's also merciful and gracious. And he doesn't leave them, him there. That he wasn't done with Jonah. He still had a mission for Jonah to carry out. And by grace and mercy, he brings him to the place, even when Jonah didn't deserve it. So what is our hope? And amongst a hopeless situation, seemingly hopeless situation, what is our hope? The hope for the hopeless situation we see in Jonah 2, 6 through 8. The continuing part of verse 6. It says, yet, again, that word yet. Transitionary word to be noticed. Yet you, who? You, God, yet you, 
brought up my life from the pit. What did Jonah deserve? To, uh, did he do good works to get up from the pit? Did he say enough right things to get up from the pit? He had done nothing at this point except run from God. He had deserved nothing of God's grace and mercy. But that's the God of the universe. That's the God we serve. It's the one who is gracious and merciful to us. That as we run from him, he'll send storms. He'll send the raging seas. He'll get our attention and draw us back to him. Oh, Lord, my God. I love that. Oh, Lord, my God. He wasn't crying. He was crying out in desperation, but he was saying, why are you doing this to me? He wasn't casting blame on God, but he understood where he was at. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who regard, pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So again, we see that he remembered, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you. So the hope for the hopeless situation it's not you doing enough. It's not you picking yourself up. It's not you making yourself all clean and ready for God, but it's you turning to the Lord. It's allowing the Lord to change your heart and your mind to, to serve him, redirect you, changing your course from a path of destruction to a path to serve him of life. And then in verse eight, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And this was Jonah that he was worshiping self, he was worshiping his own identity, his own identity as a Hebrew, and not wanting salvation. He was thinking that he was God above God. He felt like he was the one to decide who would be saved. And so that's why he left. He forsook, forsake those things, and he, he was missing the love of God. When he had turned to the worthless idols, worthless idols cannot give you the love that you desire. There's nothing in your life besides God of the universe that can fulfill the love that you need and want. It's not in a spouse. It's not in a job. It's not in children. It's not in the riches of this world. All those things are vain, vain idols if you seek to bow down at those. But God of the universe, he is worthy to be worshipped. He has the steadfast love that you and I need in our life. Psalm 30. One through five says this, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. Who does that? The Lord is the one that does that. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Again, the same imagery. What, what Jonah was experiencing in the belly of the well is what the psalmist is also experiencing and what you may have experienced as well. Oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to the holy name, for his anger is but for a moment. His anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. But joy comes with the morning. God is so gracious and merciful to Jonah that he had every right to leave him in the seas and just let him drown because he had disobeyed God. He had run from God. God had given him a direct command, a, a direct objective, and he goes in the opposite direction because he thinks he knows better than God. 
I just know myself, my inclination as a father is to, uh, to be somewhat, how could you, how, I just told you what to do and you're going in the opposite direction. And I can tell you how many times in, in my home there, there, there's that case where I'll ask a, one of my children, I won't point any, either, any one particular out, but I'll ask one of them to do something. And instead of going in the direction I tell them, they go in the opposite direction. Can I get an amen? Am I the only one out here? All right, because... I'm like, what is going on here? I just like, literally, I just said, go this way and do this. And you're going this way and doing the opposite. And I know for me, what, what, hopefully I'm, I'm just, this is maybe confession time for Jason, but what wells up inside of me is anger and wrath. But I, I tried to not let it out all the time. And my kids would probably say that it does come out some, uh, unfortunately, and I have to seek forgiveness. But there's anger and wrath. Like, I, literally, I just told you to do this, and now you're doing this. How? Do you not understand? Did you not hear me? And sometimes there's words, sorry, it comes freaking flowing out of me. But I just think about myself and how unrighteous I am and how I get so angry with my own children, the ones I dearly love and I'm so thankful for. And God, in his grace and mercy, he doesn't treat Jonah like that. He walks with them through it. Now he does send the storm. He does pursue him. And they're not always nice things. They're not easy things to deal with. He's in the belly of a well as he cries out in this distress. But he doesn't give up on him. He doesn't say, well, off with you. You're just, you're no good for me anymore. But no, he pursues him and he loves him. And then we see our last verse for this morning. Verse 9. Let me see God's sovereignty here. God is sovereign. He is in control. And this beautiful uh, last part of his, uh, his prayer. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving. What? The voice of thanksgiving? He's in the belly of a whale. And he's with the voice of thanksgiving. He's cried out with distress. And now he's saying with a voice of thanksgiving. Why? He's still in the belly of the whale. And he's saying with a voice of thanksgiving. Because his eyes have turned. His eyes have turned from away from God to the presence of God. From down at his own situation to the holy temple of God. His situation didn't change, but his attitude, his mindset, his view has changed. But, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Again, the irony here is the pagans did this before he did. The heathens, the idolaters, they're the ones that turned from their idolatry to worship the one true living God before Jonah did, the prophet of God. But God is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And verse, um, so this verse also is seen in the psalm as well. Psalm 3, 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing on your people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What did Jonah do to deserve to be brought up? Nothing. Salvation belonged to the Lord. And it wasn't Jonah's power or authority to decide if the Ninevites got salvation or not either. So many times we think those people, they're undeserving. They waste everything in life. They've wasted their breath. They've wasted their resources. They've wasted everything in their life. I'm not wasting any of my time on them. But the Lord says, no, I want you to go speak to them. I want you to go care for them. Because I've cared for you. And, and I think about the Ninevites. They're, they were wicked people. It wasn't that these were nice people that Jonah just didn't like because uh, he just was a racist. No, they were wicked people. 
And he had in somewhat justifications for hating them and not, just, not wanting their, their salvation. But guess what? He doesn't get to decide that because salvation belongs to the Lord. You and I don't get to decide that salvation belongs to the Lord. And we're, we're called to be faithful to him. We're called to walk in step with him. And so continue, brothers and sisters, to reach out to that neighbor, to reach out to that family member, to reach out to your, the community around us that he, that salvation is in him and him alone. He tries to leave. He tries to leave the presence of the Lord. Psalm 139, I, this was resonating in my heart and my mind as, as we studied through this. It's Psalm 138, or excuse me, 139, 7 through 12. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. That's the beauty of our God. He's everywhere. He's what, what we call omnipresent. Everywhere we go, he is there. You cannot escape him. And for some, that will cause fear and trembling because you will not escape God. But some, that should cause great comfort and joy. In your distress, he will be there. He is there with you. He doesn't leave you. I want to close with this. Charles Spurgeon says this, most of the grand truths of God have to be learned by trouble. They must be burned into us with the hot iron of affliction. Otherwise, we shall not truly receive them. But how true this is. How true of, this, of many of our stories. But guess what? As much as I like Spurgeon, there's part of me that disagrees with this a little bit. In the sense that there was opportunities for Jonah to turn. That we can learn from one another. We can learn from Jonah that we don't have to get to the depths of Sheol before we turn to God, but we can turn to God while we're on the ship. We can turn to God while we're on the planks getting to the ship. We can turn to God before we get to Joppa. But we can turn to God all before then. And God in his grace and mercy, we can be obedient to the Lord. Man, encouragement to you this morning, brothers and sisters, don't wait till you're down into the depths of Sheol to cry out. Cry out to him this morning, to walk faithfully with him this morning. And my prayer is that, that as you experience their stress, maybe you have been in a hopeless situation or you're getting into a hopeless situation uh, or you're in one now, my hope is that you would see where we truly find hope. Where John, even though his situation doesn't change, his yet, yet I will look, yet God is with me, yet you bring me up, that you would turn to the Lord and seek him, seek his salvation because salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and merciful to us. Lord, you have loved us even when we ran from you. You have loved us even when we were adamantly, intentionally, willfully disobedient to you and your word. Father, you have given us your word to know you, to love you, to seek after your will for our life. Father, thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.